0: CHAPTER Forty Seven OF CARPENTER'S GEOGRAPHICAL READER ASIA by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. TRAVELS AMONG THE TURKS Damascus is one of the oldest cities of the world. Its origin is not known, but it was a thriving commercial center in the times of Abraham and David. It is an oasis city, lying on the edge of the Syrian desert, in a large tract of fertile soil, which is irrigated by two rivers from the Lebanon mountains. It now has several hundred thousand inhabitants, and its vast bazaars are filled with fine goods. We visit the shops and make excursions into the country nearby, looking at the great orchards of oranges, lemons, and figs. We watch the caravans of camels coming in from Persia and elsewhere, and later take the railroad for a trip over the mountains to the thriving Mediterranean port of Beirut. From Beirut, we steam northward to Smyrna, a commercial center with many Greek citizens, and then go through Asia Minor into Armenia and other parts of Asiatic Turkey. We observe that the country has much wasteland. It has some forests on the mountains and is rich in minerals, but only a few good mines have been opened. The chief business of Asia Minor is farming but the tools are of the rudest description. Most of the crops are cut with a sickle, and near each little town is a threshing floor, upon which the grain is trodden out by oxen or donkeys. The farms are usually small, and the owners are compelled to pay the government a part of the crop. In many places the soil is exceedingly fertile, producing grain of all kinds, as well as cotton, tobacco, and opium. About Smyrna and elsewhere are orchards from which quantities of fine figs are exported to America and Europe, and we find oranges, olives, almonds, grapes, and nuts almost everywhere. We can buy Smyrna figs in our grocery stores. In the mountains are mulberry groves, and the people rear silkworms and export their cocoons. They also weave many fine silks. Asia Minor is noted for its excellent wool. The plateaus are covered with a rich grass upon which large flocks of sheep and goats are fed. This is the home of the Angora goat, whose wool, called mohair, is about the finest known. We watch the people of the villages weaving the goat's hair and sheep's wool into rugs, just as we saw them doing in Persia. They work in their homes on rude looms before which they kneel or sit cross-legged, Several are often employed upon a single rug, each taking a section of the pattern. The fine rugs are made entirely by hand, the tufts of wool being tied together and fastened to the threads without the aid of the shuttle. Such rugs are as soft as the best of our machine-made carpets, and their colors are better. A good workman can weave only three or four square inches a day, and a hearth rug of the best quality Requires months of continuous labor. But let us visit some of the farm villages. The farmers live in little houses of stone or sun dried brick. The roofs are flat and the windows are mere holes in the walls. In Armenia, the houses are often built either wholly or partly under the ground. An excavation is made in the side of a hill and the building is so erected within it that one can hardly tell it is there unless he sees it from the front. Such houses are usually of one story and their flat roofs are often covered with two or three feet of earth on which the grass grows. There are no fences about the roofs and the cattle and sheep may be seen grazing on the very tops of the houses. The floor is often below the level of the ground and we have to step down to get in. Upon entering we find a cow stable on one side and on the other a room which forms the kitchen parlor and sleeping place of the family. It is cold in Armenia during the winter and these cave-like homes are easily warmed. The village people have but little furniture, the possessions of many a family consisting of only a straw mat which covers the floor, a rude chest for the clothes, a few copper vessels, and some stone water jars. The cooking is done over open fireplaces or in ovens of clay or stone. The meals are served on the floor and fingers take the places of knives and forks. The cities of Turkey have some large and comfortable homes. There are many rich and well-to-do people in whose houses there are separate quarters for the women and men, the men guests never being admitted to those parts where the women live. In the better-class houses, the quarters of the women are often guarded by servants. The women are not allowed to go upon the street without so concealing themselves in blue or black cloaks, that they look as though they were walking about inside so many balloons. In addition to these garments, the woman covers her face with a veil, so thick that her features are hidden. Indeed, a boy may pass his mother on the street and not know her, and a man could hardly recognize his wife if he saw her out shopping. While at home, the women wear jackets and very full trousers. Their feet are either bare or clad in slippers, of soft, bright-colored leather. Turkish gentlemen usually wear shirts and full pantaloons, and over them gowns which reach from the neck to the feet. In the cities, some dress as we do. The poorer classes and those out in the country have only full trousers and a jacket, much like a roundabout. The trousers are tied at the ankles, and the men's shoes are without heels and turned up at the toes. The jackets are often embroidered with silver and gold. The Turks are cleanly, as to their persons, and the men and boys have their heads shaved, with the exception of a lock on the crown. They wear skullcaps or turbans, which they keep on while in the house. The boys and girls do not come together at parties, and the men and women are always apart. Husbands and wives do not eat together. All marriage arrangements are made by parents, who often make the engagements when their children are still babies. Boys are usually married while in their teens, and as the girls approach 20 years of age, they are considered old maids. These people are not very well educated, but new schools are being started, and now there are several thousands scattered over the empire. The Mohammedan priests are often the teachers, and the mosques are sometimes the schoolhouses. In such schools, the boys sit on the floor, holding their books on their knees or in their hands. They have no desks nor chairs. They study out loud, swaying back and forth as they sing out the verses they are trying to commit to memory. The chief studies are the Turkish language and the Quran or Mohammedan Bible. They also have some arithmetic, geography, and history. Almost every man knows how to read. Education is free and the schools are under government control. The laws provide that all children must be educated but in many districts, such laws are not enforced, and the people are ignorant. Within recent years, however, great changes have been going on in Turkey. The government is being reformed, and the taxes reduced. Railroads are planned to open up the most important parts of the country, and in time, many improvements will probably be made. For ages, Turkey has been an absolute monarchy, ruled by the Sultan. But a few years ago, a parliament was elected And from now on the people will make their own laws and to a great extent govern themselves. End of chapter forty seven.